I want to commend you all for being in worship this morning. We're about 10 days out from Christmas, and this is about the time when I realize that I cannot add any more hours between here and there, and it all still has to be done. So the fact that you chose to come together for prayer and to celebrate the gift of God made known to us in Jesus, among all the other things you have to do, it's good to be together. Of course, upon hearing the gospel this morning, you might wonder why you did come. Brood of vipers, unquenchable fire, separating the wheat from the chaff. This call to repentance is not really the good news that perhaps you were hoping to come and remember this morning. And indeed, we are wondering as we look at this morning's gospel, what is the good news? Because at the start of it, it really doesn't sound that great. John is chastising those that have come out because they desire to know what the future can be and the positivity and the promise of salvation. And yet they're not willing to do anything to engage the salvation that is available to them. And so he calls them a horrible name and chastises them for their apathy and their indifference, resting on the fact that they're children of Abraham, so salvation is most definitely theirs. And he says to them, uh, 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 uh. Don't live into that and just claim that because you're a descendant of Abraham, salvation will be yours. Instead, John the Baptist says, take your salvation. Live into your salvation. And he must have said something good about what salvation is because people then decide they will. Did you notice they come and ask him, what should we do? Somehow, when he was challenging those that were the children of Abraham, they must have heard something good in his promise of salvation because they say to him, well, then what should we do? And he says, well, if any of you have two coats, give one away. And if you have food, share it. And the good news is so amazing that the tax collectors even realize that it's available to them. They're not children of Abraham. And so they say, well, what should we do? And he says, well, don't take anything more than what you're owed. And the soldiers who are Roman citizens, who are not the children of Abraham, also hear something in the good news. And they also ask, what should we do? And he tells them, don't extort people. Don't use your place of power to diminish or to further oppress those that are oppressed by your, your ruler, the Romans, the people that you're a part of. So there must have been something that John was saying in between that we just don't have in the gospel lesson today. Something that motivated people to want to change and to live into the salvation that they were promised. I wonder why we don't hear what that salvation is. But perhaps maybe then, like now, it's hard to put words around something that is better than you can imagine. Something that's transformational. I know that I sometimes feel frustrated by the the limitation of words to convey what God is doing in Jesus. Even if I'm trying to describe an amazing experience that isn't really tied to salvation, such as a great meal or a wonderful trip, and I find myself limited by words. How can I tell about this? I mean, it's hard to convey to you what marvelous thing it was. And so maybe that's why There's a gap in our gospel lesson today about what John 
was proclaiming when he talks about salvation. When I think about repentance, I have a particular image that comes to my mind. It's from the movie The Mission, from, which was out in 1986, way back in the 1900s. Anybody here see the movie The Mission just by a show of hands? Oh, good. So we have a handful of people. There is an incredible, profound scene in that film. It's the, the film has Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons as the lead actors in it, so it's definitely worth a watch. And in this, in this story, it's about Portugal traveling to South America and taking the native peoples of South America and enslaving them, capturing them, and shipping them up to Portugal to fuel the economy of Portugal. I don't know if you're aware, but the Portuguese are the ones that invented the slave trade in 1400, just a few years after Catherine of Siena died. So this is that time frame, and Robert De Niro's character is a slave trader. And something happens, although I don't remember this part of the movie, when he finds Jesus, and his life is changed, and he realizes the horror that he has done as a slave trader. He feels compelled to go back to the native peoples and to receive the punishment that he deserves, which actually would be at their hands. And this is the part of the, mem of the movie that I remember. He makes the trek back to South America, and he starts up the cliff to the land where this particular tribe lives. And it's a cliff against a big river. And he's just dressed in his re re regular woolen clothing. He has his armor, though, in a fishing net over his shoulder or, or tied to his waist. Somehow he's dragging his armor with him up the side of this cliff. And it's a rough journey, to say the least. It would have been rough if he was just dealing with his own weight, but to deal with this banging weight of his armor tied to him, he is climbing up this mountain. He finally gets to the top where it gets flat and makes his way on his hands and knees, bloody and torn from the climb. And the tribal people, a few of them, emerge from the bushes. And he, on his hands and knees, prepares himself to receive what he is rightly due. There's a moment there where nothing is said and no action is taken. And the one of the native peoples draws his machete from the sheath on his waist and lifts it high above his head. And De Niro prepares himself. And the machete comes down and cuts the rope of the armor. And it goes crashing down the side of the mountain into the river below. De Niro's character balls at the mercy shown to him. I think about that when I think about repentance and how great it is the mercy that God has given to us in Jesus demonstrated in that brief scene of that film. And I wonder if we don't often think that repentance requires some major thing like that, climbing up a mountain burdened by the weight and our conscious observance of the weight of the sins that we have committed. And so maybe we think that repentance isn't something we have time to do. 
But if you notice in today's gospel story, John the Baptist shows us that repentance is available to us in the very fabric of our lives. And the day-in and day-out activities that we engage in, that we can participate in our salvation through acts of repentance in just the things that we're doing. And I dare say, actually, in De Niro's character, that was the practice of his life, climbing up the side of that cliff over and over again. John shows us in the gospel this morning that repentance is available to us in the very things that we're engaged in. So it calls us to consider how is it that we can participate in our salvation. Because we don't earn our salvation by acts. We don't, it's not a merit-based thing. But we do participate in it. Because in Jesus, he only invites us into our salvation. And it's us to, up to us to live into the salvation we have been given. That's what John is calling people to do in repentance. Consider, he says, your day. What is it that you can do? And I dare say, my friends, that's our invitation. We see the problems of this world and we scratch our head or we pull our hair or we put our hands in our head, our head in our hands, distraught by how it is that we can solve the horrible sins of humanity. I think about the white supremacy that was begun by those Portuguese in 1400s and how it spread throughout the whole globe over the course of a 400 years. And we're digging our way out of that horribleness that objectification of humanity, the, the inclination to always think about what's the economic gain that we can receive on the backs of others. We are digging ourselves out of that one. This week marked the sixth anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting. We're digging ourselves out of this. What is it, our propensity to violence and our inability to figure out how to create places of safety? We hear more about the climate change and the trajectory that we're on. And we say, oh my gosh, Lord, have mercy. I can't solve this one on my own. But what is it you can do? Consider the lives of the children of Abraham and the tax collectors and the soldiers. They were up against huge things too. If you were a soldier in the Roman army, what were you going to do with the oppressing regime that you actually worked for? If you were a tax collector, what were you going to do with that economic system that you were a part of? The questions they faced then are the questions that we face now. And we're invited through the words of John the Baptist to start where we are, to participate in our salvation. We won't be motivated by fear. Fear doesn't motivate people. Science shows fear doesn't motivate people. But you know what does? Love and a vision that's made possible through love. And maybe that's our biggest challenge. We can't imagine the world differently. And so we find ourselves again in prayer. What is it that God is inviting us to consider? The life of our salvation. How is Jesus inviting us to live into it? In the very fabric of our lives, in the daily routines that we do. And can we trust God with our little efforts that they might bring about huge changes. That's the invitation we have on this day, the promise of the good news of our salvation and the invitation to participate in it. And so we consider together, what can I do? Amen.